Hey, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the very back of your Bible, we're going to be uh, again in 1 John as we make our way through this beautiful little letter. Uh, we are in a sermon series. This is part three entitled Faithful Witness. What does it mean for the church to be a faithful witness? Uh, what does it mean for us? I mean, we want to be the family of God, right? And we want to be on mission for God. And through all of that is, what does it mean to be a faithful witness? If you did bring your Bibles, there should be one there in front of you uh, in the pew. Uh, also, you'll have the uh, words on the screen as well. Hey, this weekend, a big weekend. Speaking of things happening out on the West Coast, uh, the new iPhone has come out. Uh, the new iPhone 15. Does anybody have it yet? Anybody have the new iPhone 15? They, they say it's a different generation. They say this is like one of those big step ups. And everything I can read, you got new cameras. Not enough to have one now. We have like multiple cameras on these things, right? They have a new chip in there, new processing speed. I mean, they have all this stuff. They say that our little uh, uh, phones have more computer capability than they did for the entire Apollo series that took people to the moon and back. I don't know quite how that happens, but apparently that is true. Um, so you have all these new things, but guess what Apple has done? There is a new power cord. There is now a USB-C is a new power cord, and you know what that means, right? That all your old power cords, they don't work anymore. You know, that little lightning cord that you have, you got one in your car, you got one at home, you got one by your bed. I mean, you just plug that thing in anywhere you want to go. And now they have a new cord. This no longer works, thank you very much. So now you got to get a new one. What do we call that? Marketing. Very good, right? <laughs> Maybe obsolescence, that could be it too. That's all good, Jake. That was a good response. But anyway... Uh, so we know the only way you're going to get connected is to make sure you have the right cord. Well, the Bible teaches us from the very beginning that God made us in his image. He made us to be connected to him, to know and love him and be known and loved by him. And the Bible very early in the story tells us that we rebelled against God. We sinned uh, and that sin led us to hide from God. It led us to to be fearful of God, it really led us to be disconnected from God. The God who made us in his image, uh, the God who made us to know and love and reflect him, sin has separated uh, us from him. But here's the good news. God so loved sinners that he couldn't give up on us. I mean, God so loved sinners that he would take that which is most precious to the Father, the Son, to come and to rescue us. And he came to reconnect us. We were made for him, right? We were made to know and love him. And so he's going to send his son to reconnect us to the Father. And according to Scripture, Jesus is like the universal power cord for all of us. Every tribe, tongue, nation, people, anyone who reflects his image, he and he alone is the one who can reconnect us to the Father. That's why he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's no other way to the Father. I'm the power cord. And again, sorry, Jesus, he's so much more than that. But that's just his universal connection back to the Father is through him. And he says, now, through him, we will be empowered. We're empowered by his spirit, all right? And we are empowered to live a life and a life abundantly. Uh, through his life and death and resurrection, it's amazing. He's empowered us, watch this, to live eternally. So what an amazing uh, source that Jesus has come. He came to seek and to save those who were lost, those who were disconnected, and have us be re 
synced or recharged, reconnected to the Father. So Jesus will come, and we've been looking at this through the sermon series, Jesus comes to reconnect us to the Father. So why? We could have fellowship with God. So this John, uh, who wrote the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, he's written these three little letters, and he's saying, I want my joy to be complete because I want you to have fellowship with God. And, and our fellowship is with God and with his Son, and it also gives us fellowship with one another. So he, the good news of the Gospel of what Jesus has done connects us vertically to God, reconnects that, charges that up, uh, it also connects us to one another. It has a horizontal, uh, beautiful connection as well. We should call one another brothers and sisters. If we're loved by him, watch this, we should love one another. It's part of being a faithful witness. So that, that we saw that in week one. Then week two, it's like God made us not just to have fellowship with him. He's made us to walk with him. Uh, to walk with him means our lifestyle. It means to know and love him, to live our lives for him, uh, to walk our, our daily lives uh, according for his glory and the good of our neighbor. And so then he keeps unpacking this. This is so good. It's like, hey, the gospel gives you fellowship with God, but there's more. You can walk with God, but there's more. Watch this. We could be children of God. I mean, this gospel is so amazing. It's not just forgiving our sins and cleaning us up, but it's adopting us. It's making us his own and his beloved. I mean, he made all things, but his treasured possession, children of God. So again, as we were in three, uh, the third week of the sermon series, Faithful Witness, um, we are called to be God's people, to be a witness to his love and grace to us. And what does a faithful witness do? Remember, it loves God. We're connected to him. It loves our neighbor. And we're going to look at this morning, what does it mean for us to be called children of God? Now, i got to hit say something. A lot of people will say, well, everybody's a child of God. Everybody who was ever born is a child of God. It is true that everybody who was born is in the image of God. And it is true that everyone who was born was, was woven together by the grace of God. But according to Scripture, not everybody is a child of God. As a matter of fact, Scripture says you're one of two things. It's kind of scary. You either, by God's grace and the work of Christ, the child of God, or if you don't know God... Scripture says you're of a child of Satan. Huh. I mean, it's just going to give us that radical of the difference of the two. And so uh, we are grateful that we are children of God. And what does it mean to uphold God's family values? So that's where we're going to be today. Uh, we're going to see that three things. Children of God have been born of God. We're going to see that children of God are loved by God. And then the thirdly, we'll see the children of God abide in God. So I'm going to start where I've started each week in this sermon series, uh, in actually chapter 5, in verse eight, uh, 19. And then I'm going to skip, and we're going to pick up at the end of uh, chapter 2, verse 28, and we're going to read all the way through the entire chapter of 3. It's, it's 24 verses, so here's the deal. This is God's word. It's holy and errant. It will never lead us astray. And so this is about the, the most perfect thing we're going to do in the worship service. And every time I, I read for a long time, I get nervous, you know. And so I was like, I want you to not check out. I want you to lean in. The words will be there uh, for you to kind of meditate. What is God saying to you uh, through his word today? So let's hear the word of the Lord, 1 John 5, beginning in verse 19. It says, we know that we are from God 
and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What a contrast. We're, by God's grace, from God, and yet the whole rest of the world, do you ever feel like that we are in contrast? We are. Uh, but let's look again what it means to be a child of God. So I'm going to go back to chapter 2, and we are going to pick up in verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, early in Genesis, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Uh, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For wherever, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask from him, because his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Oof. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Father God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me. Give us ears to hear your voice and God, minds to understand your word and hearts that embrace your truth. And God, give us feet that walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are just my opinion are wrong. May those things be just forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that contain the good news of the gospel, the things that make us your children, your beloved children, oh God, use those things to instill into us family values. And we pray this in your son Jesus' matchless name. Amen. So we had a pretty longer text with this, and we realized that in the midst of this, this amazing good news that God will call those who are his children of God. And the first thing we see in this passage is that children of God have been born of God. That Jesus has appeared. It says, it's interesting, it says he will appear and he has appeared. That Jesus appeared to make us children of God. Scripture will say he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring us home. He came to forgive us of our sins, all good news. But even more, he came to make us his own, to bring us to the Father, to have the ability to call to the Father, Abba, Father. So he appeared for us to make us children of God. So what did he have to do? He had to make sure he knocked down anything that kept us from being children of God, right? Anything that kept us from being loved by God. So the first thing he says is this, he appeared to take away sins. If you look again in 3, 5, verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away the sins, and in him there is no sin. I mean, there's an incredible gospel truth to this. I mean, Jesus came uh, to, to do uh, something that no one else could do, and that is to take away our sins, to cover them with his blood, to separate us as far as the east is from the west from our sins. How did he do that? He did it on the cross. He would become a sin offering for us. He would absorb the Father's holy wrath for our sin. He would absorb to take it away. He would bear them so we didn't have to bear them. What incredible good news. But a guy says not only did he come to take away our sins, but he did not know sin. Scripture says, very important for us to know, that Jesus was made like us in every way, truly Son of God, Son of Man, tempted in every way like us, us, he could sympathize with us because he knows our weakness. Uh, he's been there. He's walked in our shoes. But he is without sin. And you see, if Jesus was a sinner, if he was born naturally like us, he would be a sinner. He couldn't save us, let alone save himself. So the incredible story of the gospel is the story of God's love to come rescue us through his son, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, to, to complete the law that we have all broken and then to bear our, our sins on the cross. So why did he appear to take away our sins? Did it cost him? It cost him dearly. Man, how much he must love us. Not only that, he must destroy. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 8. Now, the reason the Son of God appeared, it's pretty clear, right? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, what are the works of the devil? Well, the works of the devil, he is the evil one to tempt us, to draw us away from the Father, to separate us like a predator from the Father, to take away our fellowship with God, to keep us from walking with God. And Jesus came to destroy it, to destroy the curse that came with sin. 
so that we can, through his life, through his death and resurrection, truly have fellowship with God, truly walk with God, and not only that, to become children of God. Look at it this way. Sin, how did it affect us? Scripture says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. How did sin affect us? It separated us from God, but you know what it says? We need a new operating system. I mean, we need a new operating system. It's so bad that we have a nature that can't be revived. Here's, here's what God's Word is saying. It's not enough that you get a little bit more moral. It's not enough that you get a little nicer. That you've got to be made new. So do I. Sinners have to be made new. They have to be given a new nature. They need to be born not just of the water and, and of a woman. We need to be born of God. And you read through Scripture, it says, you know, that Christ came, that anyone who is in Christ, anyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are a new creation. We're made new. The old is gone, the new has come. This is what John would say himself in, in John 3, that we have to be born again. Uh, the only way that we uh, can be children of God is we have to be born of God. And that is, listen, it's not church membership, it's not baptism, although that's an important thing for us to do, is a sign and seal that reality. Here's the reality. Are you born of God? And that doesn't happen just because you were born on this earth. Are you born of God? And that means, have you placed your faith and trust? Have you become a new creation? Has he given you a new operating system? And that's only done through the, the work of Christ. So those who are born of God, God, God's children are loved by God. <laughs> that's a, that's a, hopefully you know that. The children of God are loved by God. God loves to call us his children. I love that. See what incredible love he's lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. One of the favorite things I did when our kids was growing up was coach Little League. And I love coaching Little League, and in some of this room, I think I see three faces that remember our Maitland Little League days together. I loved it. And one of the most important things you do as a Little League coach is you want to make sure that everyone has a nickname, right? You want to make, I mean, you got to do things like keep your eye on the ball and how to get in front of a ground ball and all those other things. But hey, kids will know that they are seen and cared for if they have you know, Cool Hand Luke, or Sweet Swinging Grant Stokes, or, or Corey the Big Story. I mean, you got to give them nicknames, right? Uh, and, and every once in a while, because you really get to know them, you get to call them, hey, son, come here, let me help you. And, you know, you call someone son, it's a term of endearment. Um, you know, nowadays, uh, probably get in trouble for it. But, you know, you, you say, it, okay, son, uh, let, let, me, uh, let me help you with something. But the truth is, I only had one son on the team. Had the chance of coaching both my sons, but one at a time. There was only one with my name on the back of his jersey, no matter what nickname they had. There was only one coming home with me in my minivan, right? And so here's what God is saying. Listen to the love that God has for us, that we should even just be called the children of God. And I, and I love this. The, uh, maybe some of you memorized this in the King James Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. You heard that? It's interesting. What was translated, the manner of love lavished, is a literal Greek word means out of this world. It's a love that's out of this world. <laughs> I mean, it's foreign to us. It's foreign to us to have someone who loves us that much. 
And that is what God's love for us. It's lavished upon us. It's out of this world. More than that, it's a love that began before time. God loved us before we did anything right, before we did anything wrong. Uh, God loved us because he loved us. This is specifically his people. Listen to how Paul writes it in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Even as he, uh, Father, chose us in him, the Son, before the foundation of the world, before God creates anything, he sets a love on his people, and that we should be holy and blameless in him. And it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So this is going to tell us, and there's a lot of theology here, but I want to tell you, God says, I loved you before I even created anything. You have a love from God that's eternal. It's out of this world. This is holy God loving us. It's amazing. But I love the fact it says the manner of love that God could call us children of God, but the next few verses, the next few words, ah, nothing makes my heart sing like this. And that is what we are. That is what, in Christ, what we are. It's not just me calling a kid on my Little League team son. It's not just a fancy title that God throws out to us. That is who we are. God's love makes us his children. We are his adopted sons in Christ. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this. But when the fullness of time has come, it shows that time has been laid out by God. It's almost like God's uh, history has a gestation period. All of his promises were going to be given birth to Jesus uh, as he comes. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So listen, if you're a Christian, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I mean, it almost doesn't get better. I mean, it can't get better than that. He keeps telling us more than more. He loves you. He's rescued you. He's adopted you. And by the way, he's going to make you an heir. Can he give us more? I mean, what incredible love that he's lavished upon us. It says that we are legally, because of this, God's son. Because of the work of Christ in the heavenly courts, we are called his Nothing can separate us from that. As much as we are knuckleheads and all the things we do wrong and all the ways we wander away, we are prone to wander. But here's the reality. His grip on us will never let us go. And we will be his today, tomorrow, and forever. We are legally in the heavenly courts declared his own. And it's adopted sons. Now, in our modern context, we'll say, well, that's not very sensitive to call me an adoptive son when I'm a daughter. So who wants to be an adopted son here? If you look at the context, you want to be an adopted son. Because guess who gets the inheritance? And guess who that blessings flow through? Now, it's the same gospel, the same Bible. It says, remember, in Christ there's neither Jew or Gentile, male or female. We, are, we, we will have equal standing before God's grace. It's radically good. But he's saying you're an adoptive son means all the blessings of the Father for those who are his, male or female. So don't get upset that you're called an adoptive son. Say, yes, uh, I, I get the good stuff too, uh, male or female. That is all of us. God's love makes us his sons.
God's love also makes us like Jesus. It's interesting. He says, he will appear again. It's, we started off with this. Like, we're waiting for his appearing. We are his sons, but we're waiting for his appearing. And when he does appear, uh, we will be like him. Now, Christians, we live in a specific time that's called the now and not yet. We live in the now and not yet. The now means this. Now, today, we are the children of God, right? Now, today, we have been forgiven and free. But we're not yet fully home, right? And what we will be has not yet been revealed to us. But when he appears, he's coming again, and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. What do you think it means that when we see him, we will be like him? Well, it means this. When Jesus returns, he's not returning as a baby in a manger. He's not returning uh, as, a, as a weak, suffering servant. When he comes back, he's coming back as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, right? I mean, he's coming back as, as the triumphant one. Uh, he's coming back to bring us home, to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. It's unbelievable. Watch this. He will make us like him. Who's coming back? Jesus, the resurrected Savior in a resurrected body. So it's not just this disembodied spirit floating around. Heaven is not you as a disembodied spirit up there somewhere. According to God's word, at the last trumpet, when it's all said and done, those who are here will rise with a resurrected body, and those who are already there in spirit will have their body raised again. Some of you have buried loved ones this year. Some of you know the pain of that reality. According to God's word, when he appears, we're going to be like him, a resurrected Savior. I love the fact the Gospel of Luke says he ate fish and he was able to be touched. So what we will be will be like him. Now, we won't be king, but we'll be heirs. And we'll be sons and daughters. And we'll be home. That's amazing. We'll have a resurrected body too. And I won't be a biscuit away from 300 pounds. <laughs> the evidence that we are children of God. So there's, there's you know, are, are we there? Are we in? Well, what's the evidence? He says, don't make a practice of sinning. If you make a practice of sinning, you are children of the devil. Now, this is really kind of confusing because some of you will say, uh-oh, man, every day I'm prone to wonder. I, I mean, I'm pretty good at this sin thing. Uh, it says, by this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. It doesn't say whoever has perfected righteousness. Our goal is to be holy, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the reality is, listen, every day we're going to sin. If the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, do you know, church, we've yet to do that? We fail daily at that. Anybody who says that they are perfect in Christ, that they, as far as a perfect, righteous life, we're only perfect in Christ because he's separated our sins from us and he's robed us in his righteousness. Aunt Joan, he's robed us in his righteousness. And we stand perfected in Christ. But every one of us, every day, is stumbling. But our goal is, if we don't care, we're just going to practice sin and make, make that our, our hearts what we're going to do. We're not his. Sin should affect us. It should cause us to repent. Remember, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so, you know, how do we know we are evidence of God's children? Well, we, we are, we are, our life is, is, is about repenting and believing. 
It's repenting and believing that we're, we're striving to be more like him. We are practicing righteousness. Um, I love this. It says, practice righteousness. Remember, this is so important, church. Righteousness is the fruit of our adoption, not the root of our adoption. Righteousness is the fruit because we are his. We bear fruit that his spirit is in our lives. It's not the root of our adoption. He doesn't adopt us because of our good works. Uh, Brendan uh, read that this morning. You know, just, hey, we're saved by God's grace through faith, not by works, right? And so this good works, the righteousness is that fruit. Um, Many people think they're religious, say, I'm going to try to earn my way in. We'll never do it. We all fall short of God's glory. It says that we are to believe in Jesus Christ, not just as a historical figure, not just as a good teacher, but Son of God, Savior of sinners. Believe in Jesus Christ and love your brother. Isn't it interesting? God is saying this Christianity thing is important vertically and horizontally. How can you say you love God who you can't see and you hate your brother? How can you see your brother in need and close your heart up? I mean, where's the spirit there? And so this is saying that how do we know we're his the way we love one another? Jesus said it. You'll be able to recognize the disciples the way you love one another. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and God and, and God is in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us so the last thing is the children of God abide in him we are commanded from the very beginning abide in him and again what does the word abide mean probably a word you haven't used this week the word abide means to dwell in him it means to rest in him and the best translation the best uh, explanation I heard as I studied that Greek word this week was this to be in close and settled union. To be close and settled. I'm his child because I'm forgiven. I want to be as close as I can. And I'm settled because I know his love is enough. I know that his blood took away my sin. I know I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. I'm settled as God's son. Yeah, I'm still prone to wander. But man, do I want to dwell in him. Do I want to abide in the shadow of the Almighty? And, you know, it's that children of God abide in him. We abide in God's love in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? We abide in God's commandments. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Abide in his commandments because we are children of God, not to become children of God. Abide in God's Spirit. If you're His, God's given you the Holy Spirit. We should be bearing fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Did I miss any? Might have. I always miss one. But remember, fruit of the Spirit isn't fruits, plural. It's one. We should have love and some joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that show us that we are really his. God is active in our lives. We have fellowship with God. We walk with God. We abide with God. And this abiding in Christ, I don't have time to unpack this, but let me encourage those of you who want to go a little deeper, read John 15. Because in John 15, John wrote that as well. He says, Jesus says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do all things. You are to bear fruit from him. Abide in me. Remain in me. 
Stay close to me. Bear fruit from me. That fruit comes from abiding in him. Fellowship with God, walking with God, abiding in God, because we're children of God. Is that not good news? The new iPhone 15, how many of you going to go get it? I'm tempted. I love those new gadgets. Who doesn't need better phones, better chips, whatever that means? You want to go get it? But listen, there's going to be something else comes out. You want something new? Be made new in Christ Jesus. Be made a new creation. Have the incredible fellowship with God, to walk with God, and to be called the children of God. And if you are his church, we uphold God's family values. We love what he loves. We avoid what he tells us to avoid. We live for his glory and the good of our neighbor. And we want to be a faithful witness that there is a God and a God who loves and loves us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, oh, what love you've lavished upon us that we should be called, could be called the children of God. And, oh, God, I thank you that in Christ Jesus, that is what we are. Oh, Holy Spirit, don't let there be a person that's watching this online or that's here that doesn't know for sure, are you a child of God? Remember, it's all by your grace through faith and the work of Christ. What was required for us to be a child of God, Jesus has done for us. All that has separated us, he's knocked down. He's united us again to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, God, may we abide in him. God, I pray that we, as King's Chapel, as your family here, as this church and this community, we'd be a faithful witness by the way we love you and by the way we love one another. That, God, if we see someone in need, that our hearts wouldn't close, but they'd open because your heart opened to us. That we'd freely give because you've freely given to us. That we would bear the fruit of this righteous life you've given to us and not try to make it earn our salvation. Oh God, find us faithful. Make us faithful. For the glory of our great God we pray and for the good of our neighbor. Amen.